And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello and welcome everyone to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. Hope everyone enjoyed our last episode where we took a look at the SNK Arcade and Home Video Game King of the Monsters 2, The Next Thing. A lot of fun, a lot of quarters being pumped in on that episode, I am sure. Now this time out, we are taking a look at what only can be described as one of the most obscure but also seemingly well-known, at least among Daikaiju fans, films of the last few years. I, of course, mean Shinpei Hayashiya's God Raiga vs. King Oga. Yes, that's right, the third of Hayashiya's independent monster epics, following on from uh, Rago, King of the Sea Monsters, and Raiga, God of the Monsters. Got it queued up for today, and it is uh, it is really something. Before we do that, though, we have uh, some news, and we got quite a bit of news, so let's go and jump right into it. Up first, Project Nemesis, the Nemesis Saga, the kaiju book series, written by one-time guest of this show, Jeremy Robinson, is being adapted for television. Starting with the first novel, which is, of course, Project Nemesis, uh, this, it is being developed by Sony TV, and original film. Now, that house was has recently been handling the adaptation of the comic series The Boys, uh, with Chad Stileski attached as director and executive producer. Stileski, best known for his work on the John Wick films, so nothing else should be a lot of action. Uh, no word on when or where this series will bow, uh, but this is very exciting news for me personally. I'm a huge fan of the Nemesis novels, Jeremy is a huge Kaiju fan. It was really cool to get to talk to him. So this is very big news on the Kaiju TV front. Now, if you want to check out that guest spot that Jeremy did, go back into the archives and queue up episode 48, where Jeremy, Christopher Wolet, and I discussed the Korean film and the host. Uh, good film. Uh, haven't uh, haven't watched it in a few years. Probably worth do a rewatch on that one. But very cool to hear about the adaptation of Project Nemesis. Now, in addition to that, there was another kaiju TV series that was announced recently. New series, KJ File, has been announced uh, from Anime Studios, ILCA, and Yell, set to premiere in July on TV Tokyo. Now, the description, as part of the press release, states that, quote, the anime will feature original kaiju monsters with illustrations in a retro Showa-era style and theme songs to introduce each kaiju's appearance. In the story, unique kaiju suddenly appear all across the world. Now, not much to go on there, but it does sound very neat. The staff for the show is largely drawn from the series Yami Shibai, Japanese Ghost Stories, which I am not familiar with. I'm not, you guys know, I'm not the biggest anime guy, but the sample artwork shown in that press release has a very pleasingly retro style. Definitely looks like something that might have been produced in the uh, 60s or 70s, just from the art style. Uh, no word on Western release, but uh, hopefully it will make it over here stateside. Now, in Ultra News, 
Shin Ultraman has been released in Japan and is by all accounts doing BAFO box office over there. Uh, with an opening weekend of $7.7 million, this is in fact the highest grossing and highest attended Ultraman film of all time. In addition, this is also the highest May opening in Japan in 11 years, and the third highest opening for a kaiju film in 10 years. Now additionally, right around the time it was released, it was leaked that Shin Ultraman is in fact the first installment of a trilogy, which is a very pleasant surprise. Now, here's the big news though. There is word from a source within Ultraman Connection, you'll remember, that is Subaraya's online streaming service, that a Western release of Shin Ultraman is coming sooner rather than later, and that official word will be made public very soon. Now, definitely going to keep an eye out for that. This film looks really cool, and from all indications, it seems like it's quite popular with audiences. There's already buzz of this having legs, which is a big deal in the Japanese market. So hopefully uh, we'll get that announcement and we'll get to see Shin Ultraman um, either subbed or dubbed here in the States very, very soon. In other Ultra news, Ultraman Mebius complete series and four movie set is up for order on Amazon. The box is DVD format, as has been the case from Mill Creek lately. has a street date of May the 24th. Uh, we keep hearing about how Mill Creek is going to lose this Ultra license soon, but man, I tell you, they seem bound and determined to release absolutely everything that they can in that time frame, and I, for one, applaud them. Keep putting them out, I'll keep buying them. And finally, our last bit of Ultra news, Ultraman Mystery of Ultra 7 from Marvel Comics is due in August 2022. Now, as teased at the end of the second Ultraman series, Trials of Ultraman, this synopsis uh, that was released tells us that Ultraman is mysteriously gone from Earth, that a mysterious new Ultra, presumably Ultra 7, has appeared. The writers are Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom, who handled the writing chores on the last two. Several artists have been announced, including David Lopez, Guri Hero, David Tinto, and uh, EJ Sue on covers. Uh, no word on who's doing uh, internal or interior art, I should say. Uh, this should be showing up in previews very shortly, given the August time frame. Usually previews runs about three months ahead, so it should be in the June previews. If you're interested, uh, there's numerous sources you can go to get comics online uh, using previews, so please check that out if you are interested. Uh, that's all I've got. Do you have any news or other information you would like to share? Send it to me, earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter or uh, or Facebook, and we'll get you, give you credit here on the show if you share that uh, any news that uh, that we can pass along. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get right into God Raiga versus King Oga right here on Earth Destruction Directive. <laughs> Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Part fanboys and part assholes, they came to be known as the Fanholes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcast spun off into the Fanholes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fanhole soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast, made for the fans, by the fans. 
All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. God Raiga versus King Oga, War of the Monsters, also known as Deep Sea Monster Raiga versus, easy for me to say, Lava Beast Oga, or simply Raiga versus Oga, is an independent film which made its premiere on March 7th, 2019 in Japan at a special event hosted by Karukawa, which of course is formerly Dai, and then was released on home media in the United States in early 2020 by SRS Cinema. The film has no record of any theatrical runs anywhere in the world that I could personally find in my research. Our writer, director, producer, director of special effects, editor, cinematographer, and several other roles is Shinpei Hayashia. As was discussed on the episodes for Rego, King of the Sea Monsters, which was episode 79, and Raiga, God of the Monsters, episode 94, Hayashia is a longtime Dai Kaiju fan who first rose to prominence for his fan film Gamera 4 Truth. Now, this film represents his third feature-length work, and as behooves its independent status, the vast majority of the work behind the camera was done by Hayashia. Now, whether you like or dislike his films, I think one has to give him credit for getting them made with the severely limited resource with which he clearly works. Now, I will also mention the music, which is credited to Keichiro Kitazono, who did the music for uh, Rego and Raiga, and Rengoku Kozu, for whom I can find no other credits. So, our synopsis comes from Wikizilla and goes a little something like this. Three years after his disastrous campaign against Raiga, Commander Kito leads his subordinates in their new base, which is disguised as a toilet in Atami Castle. In Tokyo, the Prime Minister summons First Secretary Honda, who reveals that a ground gap discovered beneath Atami indicates a kaiju will attack soon. Kito, as he did in Asakusa, is sure to devastate the city with his counterattack. He sees an opportunity for the Prime Minister to complete his pet casino project during the rebuilding efforts. The JSTF soon detects two enormous heat signatures in the Atami area. Honda encourages Counselor Kohara to let Kido have free reign during the coming battle. A subterranean monster, Oga, derails a Shinkansen in Atami, followed by a bonefish attack during a fireworks show. Kido mobilizes his troops after seeing a video of Oga on the news, and the beast heads towards Raiga, who has made landfall at Sun Beach. Two CIA agents attempt to contact them with information, only to find that none of them speak English, and head to Atami in an osprey. As police and emergency responders struggle to evacuate Atami, Kohara arrives and encourages Kido to raise the city. Kido's subordinates, Nakagawa and Miyazaki, are aghast, but he is all too eager to launch an all-out attack, starting with the battleship Atami Samurai. Neither monster is affected, and Raiga quickly sinks the ship. Oga dispatches a tank column with a shower of sparks, while Raiga rampages through the city. A new kamikaze tank targets Oga with an electric cannon, but the monster's light-bending abilities foil it. One of Kido's old friends, Yasuda, offers him the use of a top-secret drill-nosed mine excavator, Gokume-2. Following Oga underground, Gokume-2 draws blood with its laser, but the monster smashes it just before it can fire a tomahawk missile. A Gatling robot attacks next, and Oga destroys the CIA agent's Osprey in the ensuing firefight. Raiga and Oga clash near Atami Castle, but neither emerges victorious, and they depart the city. 
The next day, Kohara is demoted for failing to prevent the Gokume's deployment, while the Prime Minister's casino project proceeds as planned. Kido and his troops travel to the Minato Defense Force base beneath Tokyo Tower, where Tomo, the Prime Minister's mistress, enlists his help in stopping the next kaiju attack. When Raiga and Oga attack Tokyo, they counter with two remote-controlled octopus tanks. Their electric pulses seemingly stop Raiga, but he soon regains his footing and obliterates them with his own lightning. Oga endures ramming attacks by Shinisen loaded with explosives. Raiga and Oga then clash again as Kido, Nakagawa, and Miyazaki join the battle on foot. Kido is prepared to detonate a plasma photon bomb beneath the monsters in the hopes of killing them both. Meanwhile, Samajima special forces support him with a howitzer and the shark-shaped NI-26 amphibious combat vehicle. Kido is injured during the chaos, and Miyazaki offers to detonate the bomb instead. Terrified of the kaiju, he manages to leave it 100 meters from their position. The resulting explosion kills all the soldiers, Raiga, Oga, and the Prime Minister, but the radioactive fallout creates a new monster, Kuga a mix of Raiga and Oga due to the two monsters having nearly identical DNA. Kuga departs and attacks Honolulu, and is opposed by the Earth monster Dias, who bursts out of a nearby volcano. The end. Ooh, boy. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to bury the lead here. This movie is bar none. The single most incoherent film I have covered for a podcast and is in the running for the most incomprehensible piece of media I have ever consumed without someone riffing over it. Now, I had been told not to expect much out of Raiga vs. Oga, but I must admit I took those warnings with a grain of salt. All things considered, I enjoyed Rago quite a bit. The use of a World War II setting in a kaiju film and the relatively successfully executed special effects and mostly straightforward story combined to make it what I thought was a film that succeeded, despite its clearly limited budget and resources. Then, with Raiga, I didn't warm up to it in the same way as I did Rago, but Raiga was also a comedy. A very specific type of Japanese comedy at that. So, while, again, the technical portions were fairly competent, and here I'm going to use that phrase again, quote, for an independent movie, unquote, the story and the humor really seem to be lost in translation. Which, no, to me, being fair, it's not the movie's fault. A Japanese film made by a Japanese filmmaker does not have to cater to Western tastes, especially Western tastes in comedy. And with those opinions already formed, I was truthfully expecting something in the vein of Raiga, only perhaps a bit more ambitious when it came to this film. What we get is not that. Raigo, being set on a battleship, had relatively limited sets, but those sets made sense and were appropriately naval. Raiga had a broader setting, covering different portions of Asukasa, including several scenes on location or actually on the streets. The majority of the action, so to speak, in this film takes place in small rooms which are minimally dressed, almost like an abstract depiction of a particular location. This makes the film seem even cheaper than it likely was, which is jarring compared to the previous two films, which looked a bit more polished. Raiga vs. Oga looks more akin to a fan film or more accurately, one of today's bumper crop of these dirt-cheap indie films which are shot on a phone. Which is fine, I suppose, given that that's the current scene and the current visual vocabulary, but I have to admit it was disappointing for me as a viewer, given the films which preceded it. 
Now, normally around this point, I would start talking about the characters, but I'm not sure any of the characters have all that much to discuss. Commander Kido is a battle-hungry madman. The Prime Minister and his lackey are evil politicians. Nakagawa is slightly ditzy, but also has some actual sense, and so forth. No one here stands out as particularly funny or interesting. And the two CIA agents, played by independent kaiju documentarians Mark Jaramillo and David Hall, uh, you may remember their uh, documentary film, Kaiju Gaiden, that's still unreleased. That was supposed to come out a few years ago, and there hasn't been any updates on that. Um, well, Mark and David never appear on screen with anyone else, and their dialogue is way too stilted to be anything but intentionally comedic. Of course, whether it's actually funny, that's a personal opinion. Uh, now, they're not the only Western fans to pop up. Kyle Yount from the now-defunct Kaiju cast has a small role as a soldier, who actually, this is pretty funny, he reports on the DNA test results to his commander, that commander being played by none other than Hayashia himself. So he also gets to appear in front of the camera, in addition to all the stuff he did behind it. Of course, that is not counting the scenes where the characters are not played by actors, and instead are portrayed by still photos of action figures who speak via subtitle. At this point, I want to stress that no... I am not making any of this up. The story is essentially a framework. Um, when the monsters arrive in Japan, the Prime Minister wants to explain it for personal gain, on which numerous set pieces are thus hung. But those set pieces never really amount to much. Each new piece of hardware is deployed against the monsters with similar results, including effect sequences which are nearly impossible to actually see, given the amount of opticals and CGI superimposed over the suitmation and models. The film is redundant and repetitive, and even at, you know, 84 minutes, it drags interminably for long stretches where nothing seems to happen. Now, normally, if a Daikaiju movie is not particularly well-paced, we as fans can count on the monster scenes to break things up and retain our interest. And not so much. Raiga looks to be the same suit as used in his movie. That suit's actually pretty nice even if it's obviously an intentionally derivative of Godzilla, which is, which is fine, considering, again, that debut was a comedy, after all. Raiga's a well-designed monster. He would look really nice on a toy shelf. I'd always like to get a, a toy of him. Oga is a quadruped, with two big horns on his head and kind of a long jaw. And uh, that's about all I can tell you, because uh, we do not get a clear full body shot of him anywhere in this movie. He doesn't seem to be as well-constructed as Raiga, uh, because when we do see Oga, he is not as mobile or flexible as Raiga, so I wonder if it's maybe the suit is a little more fragile. I'm reminded of um, uh, Ultraman the Ultimate Hero, where the suits were so fragile that during the fights they could not actually have any physical contact. I don't know really quite to that level, but that's kind of what it made me think of. Uh, now, of course, none of that really matters, because nearly every single shot of the monsters in this film is completely saturated in optical effects. Explosions, beams, tumbling rocks, sea beams, random swirls of light and energy, you name it. It's plastered on the screen. It becomes so thick that several shots are just layers of opticals with no way to see the base image. And that base image, it could be anything from a suitmation effect, or it could be a model, or it could be stock footage, or it could be a still photo. There's a couple of instances of that, too. The monster scenes become just as tiresome as the human scenes after a while, because it's incredibly difficult to figure out what the heck you're even looking at. That is something right there. Now, from the synopsis, you know that there are also several pieces of mecha in this film. I can say, we'll say this, that they would likely make for nice toys. 
because for the most part, they are toys. Calling any of them models might be something of a diplomatic stretch. My personal favorite, the Gatling robots. There are two of them. They are armed with round missile racks and are loaded with a deadly armament of Nerf elite darts. Now, please, gentle listener, I am not saying that the missiles look like Nerf elite darts. I am saying that they actually are Nerf elite darts. And as the father of four children who love Nerf guns, I can say this without fear of contradiction. The mech are fun, but overall kind of hard to take seriously because they're, they're just so darn toyetic. Now, despite all this criticism, I do have to say there are several fun bits in this movie which are indicative of its fan origins. At one point, Kido and his subordinates discuss how kaiju are drawn to the Atami area, with Nakagawa mentioning King Kong and Godzilla, only to be corrected that those are, quote, just movies. I really did like that bit. Similarly, Kido's office is littered with Godzilla toys and models. There's a copy of an IDW Godzilla comic on his desk and one shot as well. Uh, the defense team's communicator, which is worn by Nakagawa, chirps like King Ghidorah in a straight callback to the original Ultraman series, which greatly amused me. I always loved that on Ultraman, and to see it referenced here was very funny. Also amusing were the introductory videos for the Gokume 2 and the Octopus Tanks, which include an incredibly fast text scroll on the bottom, extolling their statistics, armor, and armament, like one would expect from a technical specification for such a mecha. It's a little otaku touch, but there's so much stuff they have to communicate, it's like flying by on this text scroll as the subtitles rush to keep up. Now, admittedly, these are little things. One-off gags or fan bits. But in a film like this, I'm going to admit, I was looking for anything to pull out and mention. Folks, here's the thing. The final product is so jumbled and so disorganized so bafflingly assembled and shot that at several points during my screening, I was asking myself, is this the joke? Is the film purposefully trying to be the worst possible indie monster movie it can, filled with amateur acting and off-kilter line readings, long sequences in small interior locations, and bizarrely edited monster scenes? Is Hayashiya poking fun at the nature of kaiju storytelling, with multiple pieces of hardware being thrown at the monsters in rapid succession despite no success? Does the use of actual toys as not only the mecha, but also characters, suggest that commercial interests have overtaken artistic merit? Is it a send-up of the franchise aspects of the genre to tease a sequel completely out of left field? Honestly, I've been rolling this movie over my head for a few days now, and I'm still not sure. Maybe it is, and I just don't, you know, get it. Maybe I'm overthinking it and giving Hayashiya too much credit. I legitimately do not know what to think at this point. I do have to call attention to the last card in the end credits, a sign-off of sorts from Hayashiya. A simple black card with white text, the subtitles of which translate as, Kaiju films are one of Japan's greatest cultures. Godzilla, Gamera, and other kaiju give me joy through the screen and make memories to treasure. Hope to see you in the next kaiju film. Until then, take care. Now, given this sort of sign-off, again, whether you like or dislike what Hayashiya does with his movies, it seems pretty clear to me that he really is a fan, really does care about kaiju as a part of Japanese pop culture. Now, what that has to do with the final product, that's debatable. But hey, you know what? He strikes me as legit, and I'm willing to at least give him, you know, give him a look considering. Uh, folks, uh, again, i got to be completely honest. This is... Still not the worst thing I've ever covered on Earth Destruction Directive. That ignoble distinction still goes to IDW's completely insipid and valueless Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters comic series. 
from way back in the early days of this show. Uh, God Raga versus King Oga is pretty close. Pretty darn close. I mean, I, I have no problem with independent film. I have no problem with the other two. Like I said, again, the comedy in Raga is a little, a little off for me personally, just because I'm, I'm an American, not Japanese. But this one was, whew, this, this, this was rough sledding, ladies and gentlemen. This was rough sledding. Now, all that said, if you would like to own God Raiga vs. King Oga, you have a few options. SRS Cinema has uh, the film available on their website on a special edition Blu-ray or VHS, both of which go for around $25. Uh, now, this is the Blu-ray which I have in my collection, is that SRS uh, Cinema special edition. And now, in addition, there's a mass market DVD you can pick up. That goes for about $14 on Amazon. I think it's $15 on the SRS uh, Cinema website. Uh, it's got different art. The art looks more like uh, asylum-style mockumentary-type art, um, which irritates some people, like really irritates some people. I think it looks nice. I mean, it comes down to what you know, what format and what works best for you and your budget, of course. And I prefer digital. Uh, the film is available on Amazon Video to rent for $2 or buy for 8 You can also rent or buy the film on YouTube or Vimeo. Uh, and it is also available to stream for free with ads on Tubi, one of my personal favorite online uh, uh, streaming services. Now, not only is God Raga vs. King Oga on Tubi, but also the other two films. So if you haven't seen any of them, you can fire up your Tubi machine and go watch them there uh, and get an idea of, of kind of the, the, pro the, the progression, I guess that's the right term, that we've had with these films. All right, so now I throw it to you, the listeners. What do you think? Did you enjoy this movie? Do you think Hayashiya is uh, is playing chess when the rest of us are playing checkers? Were you disappointed with it? What did you think about this compared to the other two? I'd love to hear from you. Earth Destruction Directive at yahoo.com. Go ahead and, and write in and we can talk about it here on the show. I'm hoping that some folks out there have watched this and are willing to share some feedback because I mean, it was a unique experience. I'm just going to leave it at that. It was a very unique experience. So, all right. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and close out the show here on Earth Destruction Directive. Two true freaks just got a little more random. Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture, is now on the Two True Freaks Network. Every episode is something different. Movies, comics, television, music. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, The Sworn Testimony of a Dork, at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Now, normally this is where I would cover some listener feedback, but unfortunately we are in the rather an enviable position of having an empty email inbox. So no emails to read this time. Please send your emails, earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear what you think about the show, and we can talk about whatever topics you want to talk about, whether it's this film or one of the other things we've covered or, or anything Daikaiju-related. Please go ahead and email me. I really appreciate it. Now, we do have some uh, likes, shares, retweets, all that good stuff from social media for our last episode, which, again, was King of the Monsters 2, the next thing. And that got social media love from... John Vanover, Derek, Derek WC, Chuck Rodriguez, Adam Tebow, Professor Alan Middleton, Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene the Podcasting Machine, Tim Elliott, Joe Crawford, Brian Severe, Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange, Mr. Lomax, Stephen Patrick Lee, History of Comics on Film, The Two, True Freaks Podcast Network, Bro Rad, Colton Ritter, 
The Fan Holes Podcast, Rusty Bucket, Crystal Lady Jessica, Nathan Marchand, and Jimmy from NASA. Together they are the Monster Island Film Vault. The Power Trip Podcast, The Henshin Men Podcast, Bill at Spy Vinyl, and Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us. Thank you very much for all of that social media love. Really helps spread the word about Earth Destruction Directive. And as I've said many times, a podcast, of course, is a labor of love. And anything that uh, you can do to help out a podcast you enjoy as far as social media is very much appreciated. Um, so now we've come to that time. As always, we must be forever looking forward because you can't look backwards, even your shows about things in the past. So what are we covering next time on Earth Destruction Directive? We are jumping back into uh, sort of theatrical film. It was This film was released theatrically in some territories, but we're jumping back also to an American-Japanese co-production. This is the second Rankin-Bass Subaraya co-production. We are taking a look at The Bermuda Depths. Yes, that one about the giant turtle, which a lot of people have, uh, have very vague memories about. I'm not sure I had ever seen this until we're covering it on this episode. And, and I do mean we, because I will not be alone. Just like we, when we did the first Rankin-Bass Subaraya co-production, which was The Last Dinosaur, I will be joined by my good friend, Dr. Bill Robinson of the Back to the Bins podcast and all over the Two True Freaks Network. Always great to talk to Dr. Bill. Very much looking forward to discussing this giant turtle movie with Bro Ives, my boy, and uh, Carl Weathers. So, two guys I love right there. So, uh, everybody, please come back for that one. I'd also like to take a moment to remind everyone that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are interested in Daikaiju, um, as a genre, uh, whatever level you want to be involved in that, you are welcome to be a part of this show. We don't, uh, you know, we don't try to be an elitist show here. We're a show for everybody. So if you want to be part of it, you can get in touch with the show. You can reach out, whatever is fine. However you want to interact, sounds good to me. All are welcome here at Earth Destruction Directive. All right, folks, remember also that you can find us on social media. Just listen to the outro to the show to get that. In addition, you can also check out the YouTube channel. Just go and search for Earth Destruction Directive on YouTube. You can find all the episodes, uh, the, late, the last uh, year or so worth of episodes I've been mirroring. Hopefully going to get some other content on there soon, but uh, you can always check us out on YouTube. It's very much appreciated. Throw us a, uh, a subscribe, you know, like or comment. That's, uh, that helps get word out there on YouTube as well. All right, folks, that's all I've got. Looking forward to next time. Please come back so we can uh, take a look at the Bermuda Depths with Dr. Bill. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. 
just search for first name Luke, last name E-D-D. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter, just search for the handle at Ljacone, that's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin MacLeod, downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF (laughs) moment if I ever saw one.